Tonight, I want to talk to you about evangelists. Evangelists. So far in the in the book of Acts, we've seen we've seen people evangelizing. All right? But technically, they're not evangelists. Like there's five main leadership gifts that the Holy Spirit has given the church. They are Apostles, teachers, pastors, prophets, and evangelists. Now, so far, it's been apostles doing the preaching, doing the evangelism, right? Winning people to the Lord, doing miracles and signs and wonders and healings and, and, and leading people to the Lord, preaching the gospel, the good news, sowing the seed, so to speak. Last week, however, we met Stephen, didn't we? the guy that volunteered for the food program, who wasn't an apostle, but God still used him. And I love that we could relate to him. But here tonight, we meet this guy, and he's an evangelist. In fact, what happens is at the end in, in Acts, later on in chapter 20, 22, something like that, he's, he's mentioned by Paul as Philip, the evangelist, who is one of the seven. Now this Philip, I used to think this Philip was the Apostle Philip. One of the disciples was Philip, you know, Bartholomew's brother, or I think it was. But this is not. He's one of the seven. In fact, you might not have noticed in last week's Bible reading that he was one of the seven. He's, he's noted just after Stephen is noted. Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Philip. That's Acts 6, verse 5. And Philip is just mentioned as Philip. But here he is introduced to us as a man who God uses to evangelize. All right, and evangelism is declaring the gospel, proclaiming with words, a message to people with words. Let's have a look. Uh, so, and after, sorry, talking about Stephen, after Stephen's sermon last week, or, you know, 2,000 years ago, he died. And we were introduced to a guy called Saul, who we know later on is going to be Paul. But in, in chapter 8, in verse 1, it talks about a great wave of persecution beginning that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, right? And all the believers except the apostles were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. Who remembers what Jesus told the apostles before he left them to go to heaven. Yeah, yeah, pretty close. He said, wait, wait for the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the outermost parts of the earth. And we know from the ends of the Gospels that he, he declares them to preach the Gospel, to proclaim the Gospel. And he says, and I will be with you to the very end of the age, at the end of Matthew's Gospel. So how, do, how does he keep that promise? Through his Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit coming upon the apostles and the other believers to declare um, this message that Jesus saves. It's good news. But the apostles just stay in Jerusalem. And it takes this one 
man, Stephen, to declare this message, which causes persecution, which you might think is a bad thing, but it actually aids God's plan for the message to get out. God loves us so much, right? And he loves the world so much that he wants the message to get out. And so if there's a person who has the message in their heart already, he doesn't mind too much if that person actually dies, if it means that more people will hear the message. Does that make sense? So it, it's when a seed is put into the ground and dies that it produces more. And we're, we're watching this happen with Stephen's last week, and there was Paul listening in. And here, here and then the, the church now is being pushed out towards reaching the goal that Jesus has told them to reach. All the believers except the apostles were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. That's chapter 8, verse 1. Some men ended up burying Stephen, but Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. And he went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. And then we get introduced to the reading for tonight. The believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Now, it doesn't say the evangelists. It says the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. How old were they? What gender were they? How long had they believed the message for? We don't know. We're just told that they declare the message. And you know what? I, I struggle with this concept because I, I feel like we all are evangelists. Every single one of us in this room, if we trust in Jesus and follow him, we're evangelists. Some of us are gifted at it, but all of us have the responsibility and the great privilege of declaring the good news about Jesus to the people that we meet. This isn't mine, but we all, we all have kind of these on little L plates on our hearts. You know, um, Jesus' disciples, or a disciple of Jesus, is basically, the, the word disciple means a learner, someone who has a teacher that they learn from. Now, I'm not your teacher that you learn from. Jesus is, right? I learn from Jesus. You learn from Jesus. We all learn from Jesus together. But he uses each one of us with our different gifts and abilities and talents and backgrounds to help each other. But all of us, every single believer, has the great privilege and responsibility to declare the good news that Jesus Christ forgives sins. Some are more proactive at that than others. But it says here that all the believers, but the believers who were scattered, preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. And now we're introduced to Philip. It says in verse 5, Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria and told the people there about the Messiah. Here he is, a guy that volunteered for a food program, another one. It only takes one, doesn't it? This guy, Philip, he goes to Samaria and he tells people there this message. And we see in verse 6 that crowds, multitudes, listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message and see the miraculous signs he did. They wanted to hear what he had to say, and they wanted to see what he had to do. Say, do. Philip. 
He's, we know he's filled with the Holy Spirit because he was mentioned back in Acts chapter 6 about being one of those seven who were filled with the Holy Spirit and wisdom. So here is this man. He surrendered himself to God and he's obedient to God and he's, and he's gone into the city in Samaria to tell people about the Messiah, to tell people about Jesus being the Christ. Crowds listened intently to him. Multitudes came to listen to his message and to see his miracles. And we're even told that in verse 7, many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims. And many who had been paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. That sounds like an awesome event, doesn't it? That sounds like a really great... What would you call that? Like someone declaring the message and multitudes... Multitudes coming to faith in Jesus as their Messiah. What would you call that? A revival. Yeah. I, I, I get it. I think it's a revival. It's, although technically, if you want it to be technical, which I don't like being too much, but it's more of a spiritual awakening than a revival. Because a revival is, 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 is something that was once alive, that had died, and now is revived re, re, you know, revived again. But these, these are people that haven't followed God and they've heard this message and they've responded and great joy was in that city because of the spiritual awakening. People heard the message, what? Jesus, forgiveness of sins. What? I can go to heaven? I can have my sins forgiven and it doesn't cost me anything? I don't have to go and pay this person for anything or you know, pray these prayers? I don't have to do that? Are you saying that it's just free? Because Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And they say, "Woo, let's do that. Mass spiritual awakening. Multitudes come to God. I like that kind of evangelism. Seeing loads of people coming to Jesus. I remember going into the city a couple of years ago with Isaac. And I think, Josh, did you come with us to the awakening conference in the city? Like it was this big awakening conference thing and there was... All parts of the body there. Let me just say that. And it was fun. And the gospel was preached. And loads of people were given the opportunity to run down the front and surrender their hearts to the Lord. Isaac was, Isaac was one of them. And it was great to see these people committing their hearts to Jesus. In fact, they were responding to the gospel, the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. And I love seeing crowds of people respond to that. I love see, I wish I would love to see that happen in a church that I was a part of. To see thousands of people coming to know Jesus. I think that's great evangelism. And so Philip was really involved in that. And we see here that he also cast out evil spirits and they went screaming and they're victims. I could I don't know if I can relate to that. There's one example, I've probably shared it before, about a lady that uh, came to healing rooms once and, and uh, I just had to read Bible verses, basically, about God's righteousness and grace and forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. And this lady, she, she had this tormenting religious spirit in her and um, it was actually quite frightening. But I wasn't afraid that much because there are other people in the room. But I remember reading out these scriptures and seeing this lady... Um, going through like as if something was in control of her body. And then eventually 
it left her. And she had peace on her face. There was, there was vomit on the ground. She was sweaty. But her face was at peace. Something had left her that was controlling her life. And now she had been set free. You know, that's great to see that sort of thing happen. And I believe that still happens. I think I shared once before that, that uh, there are Christians out there that don't believe in miracles anymore. They don't believe people could be healed. Um, they, they, they think it just stopped with the apostles. Uh, but yet here's another guy who's not an apostle called Philip. So I'm not sure where they get their details from, but he seems to be used by the Holy Spirit to, uh, to do amazing things. So, you know, so can we. God can use any one of us. In fact, I was talking to a man uh, just recently and he was telling me about how his daughter had this issue with her, with her back and, and God had set her free from that and she was able to live a normal life. Someone's got Google on. <laughs> she was able to live a normal life as a child and grow up and, and be, be normal because she'd been prayed for and, and laid hands on for healing. So here's, here's Philip doing that. Mass, mass revival, mass spiritual awakening. Awesome. You know when stuff's going really well, you know what God usually does to people? Oi, you. I want you over here now. And this is what happens to Philip, right? I'm going to cut through a little bit of a section there about the apostles coming and laying hands on people to receive the Holy Spirit. I think that's another sermon on its own. But if we just jump over to verse 26, we see... Um, as for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, go south down the, down the desert road that runs through, uh, from Jerusalem to Gaza. Philip, see the stuff that's going on? See how I'm using you to reach multitudes? Well, now it's time for you to go to the desert. And Philip doesn't say uh, what I would probably say. Something like, no, no, God, that mustn't be God. You know, that mustn't be God to move from where it's all happening to the desert. That mustn't be God. That must be an evil spirit trying to trick me. Or, or if we do believe it's God, we say, oh, uh, no, I don't think so, God. I, I don't, I'm not the person. You know, send someone else. Send someone else to that thing, that place. Or, uh, maybe, no, God, not right now. Maybe I'll go to the desert when I'm ready. Not, not now, not me, or not there, not to that place. <laughs> you know, like missionaries or people training to be missionaries are warned. Don't pray, Lord, please don't send me to dot, 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 because there's this, you know, unwritten rule that God's going to send them to wherever it is. So, so I always pray, Lord, please don't send me to Hawaii. But this hasn't happened yet, so anyway. But yeah, it's not like not, not there, God. I don't I don't want to go there. Or I don't want to go talk to that person about God. You know, that person. Because Philip, he he goes from from semi-comfortable territory where you know people have the same color skin, talk the same language, and now he's going to a remote place in the desert, in the wilderness, somewhere where no one is, and he meets up with a man who's got different colored skin, has a different language, comes from a different background, has a different social standing than Philip does. Let's read 
Let's have a look. So in verse 27, the angel continues on. Uh, sorry, Philip continues on. So he started out and he met the treasurer of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under the Candake, the queen of Ethiopia. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship and he was now returning, seated in his carriage. He was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. So here is Philip and he's left this great ministry and now he's going to the desert to meet up with a eunuch of great authority from Ethiopia. Do you guys know what a eunuch is? So the technical is basically someone who can't reproduce. Basically. I want you to um, turn to, I'm going to look at a couple of scriptures tonight. And the first one is Isaiah 56. All right, Isaiah 56. So if you get, keep your spots where you are, but go to Isaiah 56. And while you're going to Isaiah 56, I'm going to tell you about Deuteronomy 23, because we don't have to turn there. I'll just tell you what it says. It basically says that if you don't have all the bits, you cannot go into worship at the temple. Okay? So anyone who is a eunuch is not welcome to go in and worship at the temple, right? The tabernacle that was being built, all right? So it was um, stipulated that uh, they could only go so far and they couldn't go in, all right? <clears throat> now, Isaiah is that great passage that this man's reading, actually, this Ethiopian eunuch. He's reading from Isaiah 53, all right? But here in Isaiah 56, which he hasn't got to yet, <laughs> it says, um, let's go from verse 3. This is God speaking, right, through Isaiah. He says, don't let foreigners who commit themselves to the Lord say, the Lord will never let me be a part of his people. And don't let the eunuchs say, I'm a dried up tree with no children and no future. For this is what the Lord says, I will bless those eunuchs who keep my Sabbath days holy and who choose to do what pleases me and commit their lives to me. Like if, you, if those eunuchs, if they want to worship me, I will bless them, right? For this is what the Lord says. Oh, sorry. I will give them, he continues on in verse five, I will give them within the walls of my house, a memorial and a name far greater than sons and daughters could give. So a eunuch could not have their own children. They couldn't pass on the name and have that heritage of, of ancestry. You know, it's very important in that culture and it still is in other cultures as well today. And so your name would not live on because you couldn't have children to, to continue that name, that legacy. But God says, don't let them say this. For I will bless those eunuchs who keep my Sabbath. I will give them a name, a memorial name, far greater than a son and daughter could give them. For, he says, the name I give them is an everlasting one. It will never disappear. And he continues on, I will also bless the foreigners who commit themselves to the Lord, who serve him and love his name, who worship him and do not desecrate the Sabbath day of rest and who hold fast to my covenant. 
I will bring them to my holy mountain of Jerusalem and will fill them with joy in my house of prayer. I will accept their burnt offerings and sacrifices because my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations. For the sovereign Lord who brings back the outcasts of Israel says, I will bring others too besides my own people, Israel. Jesus quotes that passage when he clears out the temple. You know that? My house is a house of prayer. You've turned it into a den of thieves. He quotes another scripture for that. But the temple has always meant to be a house of prayer for all nations. Okay? So, so God at the moment seems to be contradicting what he told Moses about eunuchs coming into worship. But what he's saying here is that he's not talking about something that he's doing right now in the tabernacle temple. But through Isaiah, what he's saying to the eunuchs and to the foreigners is about something that he's going to do. So God's plan is for the world, right? God so loved the world that he gave his only son, not Israel. Okay, God so loved the world. Israel was used as a, was, was to be where God's plan was going to come out of. His Christ was going to come out of that nation. But salvation is for everyone. And God promises that through Isaiah. He says, you think you're a eunuch. You think you don't have children or a name or a heritage. Guess what? I'll give you one. I'll give you a name that lasts forever. You think you're a foreigner and, and a nobody, an outcast. Guess what? I want you as part of my family. And in Jesus Christ, we're no longer foreigners or outcasts. And we have a name that, that lasts forever because of who Jesus is and our faith and trust in him. So here's this eunuch going from worship. He's just come from worship in Jerusalem, unable to go into the very presence of God and worship like all the other Israelites. And don't you know it's true that when, when church doesn't come to you, oh, sorry, when you can't get to church, church should come to you. Or when you can't get to God, guess what God does? Come to you. It's wonderful that Philip was used by God to reach the multitudes, but it's just as wonderful that Philip was used by God to reach one. And, it's, and that's God's heart. He is that great that he loves the one and he is after the one. And here is this man, Philip, who's quite a professional and successful evangelist and God says, you know what? I think I'll use you to reach one. So he reaches this one man and he shares this message with him. And this man ends up giving his life to the Lord and getting baptized. And guess what happens next? He finds himself with a name that lasts forever and in a family with God as his father. And the presence of God is no longer something that he needs to run to or try hard for. It's already in him through the Holy Spirit. This beautiful message. Philip ran over. Let's have a look at how Philip does this, by the way. Okay, so this, um, in verse 29, the Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and walk along beside the carriage. Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. Philip asked, do you understand what you are reading? And the man replied, how can I understand unless someone instructs me? And he urged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him. 
and the passage he was reading was from Isaiah 53. The eunuch then asked Philip, is this passage about Isaiah or is it about someone else? And Philip, he's, he's loving this moment. Not only did he hear the Holy Spirit say, go alongside the carriage, he ran to it. He's now invited up into the carriage. The Bible is already open for him. And the question is already asked of him. So Philip really doesn't have to do anything because it's the Holy Spirit in charge of the whole thing. And Philip just needs to know, use the knowledge that he's been given through the scriptures and through Jesus. And so this is the scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. I think the eunuch can relate to that scripture, don't you? He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants? So the eunuch wants to know what this means. Is it talking about Isaiah? You know, some people believe that this was talking about Isaiah. Some people believe this is talking about the nation Israel. But we know, or we can see through hindsight, this is Psalm, sorry, Isaiah 53 is talking about Jesus Christ. That he was, he was the one who put upon himself our sin. We all like sheep have gone astray. And so this is, a, this is an open door. This is what evangelists call an open door. So this man asked the question, Philip responds. Beginning with this same scripture that this man has. You know, sometimes we can go into situations feeling like a learner, right? As an evangelist learner. Thinking that we should do it the way that evangelists do it. You know, the mass evangelism things and how they preach, they're just so affluent, so good with their words. Eloquent, that's the word I was thinking of. Good thing I didn't say effluent instead of affluent. <laughs> no, but that's the point, right? Sometimes we just don't know what to say or how to say it. But the Holy Spirit will, if, you, if you're willing to listen to the other person in the conversation, the one that God wants to use you to reach, they will bring to you an open door. For, for Philip, it was the scripture, but it could be something else for you. It could be a loved one or a friend or the person down the road or, or someone that needs a help with their change of, changing a tire on the side of the road or I don't know, someone who needs Jesus. And there's often that little key, that little open door in that conversation, in that moment, that God wants you to use to share the gospel with this person. Start where they're at. That's what Philip does. He starts where this man is at. And he goes from that to Jesus. So beginning with the same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. Everything points to Jesus. The answer is always Jesus. We already knew that from, Bob, from uh, Sunday school. And as they rode along, they continued to talk. I guess, because this man then says to Philip, hey, there's some water. Why don't I get baptized? And so he gets baptized in the water by, by Philip. And when he came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. And the eunuch never saw Philip again, 
but went on his way rejoicing. I don't know how that happens, but this is great that it's not about Philip. It's about Jesus, and it's about one person meeting Jesus. Just like in Samaria, it's not about Philip, it's about the multitudes meeting Jesus. At the end of both accounts, in Samaria, in the multitudes, and in the one, everyone finished with joy because they met Jesus. It's always about the one. There's a Luke 15. What's the other one? Did I tell you that? Luke 15? Luke 15 gives us um, three stories that Jesus told about three lost things that needed to be found. Parable of the lost sheep. Verse, uh, Luke 15, verse 3. If a man has a hundred sheep, and how many of them gets lost? One. What will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And then he finds it, it's joy, right? Then the next story is a lost coin. How many coins? One. So this woman searches high and low until she finds the coin. When she finds the coin, everyone's happy. Then the next story is about a son. How many sons get lost? Well, yeah, technically two, but one, right? And who's looking, for the, who's looking for the son? The father. So there's a shepherd looking for one sheep. There's a woman looking for one coin. And there's a father looking for one son to come back. God doesn't waste time. He doesn't waste resources. He sees the multitude and the one as just the same thing. He uses the, the best evangelists at the moment for both tasks because he sees value in the one while he sees value in the multitude. I'm going to finish off with this one last illustration. Jesus. It's always good to finish with Jesus. When he's on the cross, he's dying for how many people sin on the cross? Everyone's. Every single person that has ever lived from Adam all the way to the very last person who's going to be born before Jesus comes back and restores everything new, right? For every single human being with a heartbeat and a soul, Jesus paid the price on the sin, uh, sorry, paid the price on the cross for their sin with his blood, his death, right? But what does he do while he's on the cross thinking of the multitudes is there's one criminal on this side that still needs finding. And the criminal says, can you save me? And Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. God really cares about people so much that he is interested in the multitudes but he's just as interested in the one. Now, this sermon is called, It Only Takes One, in brackets, Philip. Last week, It Only Takes One, in brackets, Stephen. Now, what we'll see with Stephen is the effect of his message through Saul, who becomes the Apostle Paul. But with Philip and the, this eunuch from Ethiopia, 
We have no idea. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know if this eunuch from Ethiopia goes and shares this gospel message with the queen, Candace or the Candake or whatever she's called. It depends on your version. Or if there's going to be an, an, you know, a, an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Ethiopia or Cush or northern Egypt. We don't know. We don't hear the rest of the story. And that's often the case too, isn't it? Especially when you reach the one. We've had plenty of ones come through the doors of our church. We don't know where they've gone really or what, what God's using them for. But we know that they've been led here by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's used each one of us to minister to, to, to the one. And I, I, want, I want to encourage you guys with that, is that it's not, it's not failure to reach one instead of the multitude. Sometimes it's success, depending on what the Holy Spirit's saying. All right? So I want to encourage you guys this week to look out for the one. All right? And try and be sensitive to that still small voice of the Holy Spirit in the conversation or in the interaction where there's that little open door. Now, it might not be someone saying, hey, Rose, I was reading the Bible the other day and I didn't understand what John 3.16 means. Can you please tell me? You know, it, it might not be that open. It might not be a door that open, but it could be something. And so let's pray that every day that God will um, yeah, give us the sensitive heart to, to hear what he's saying and help people come to know Jesus so that they might have an everlasting name, that they might be part of a family that lives forever as well. How about we pray? Lord, we just thank you so much for the one that reached us and shared your message with us. Help us, Lord, to do the same with the others. Thank you, Lord, for the name that we have, our everlasting name through Jesus Christ, that we have a place in your family because of your love for us and your forgiveness of us. Thank you, Lord, for that wonderful message we can share with others too. 